0: There's no question that there's a racial disparity. Once you had adjusted the model for the things that we know make COVID outcomes worse, that is obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and high cholesterol, if you take all those factors into account, race is not a big deal. It's risk that's a big deal. That's where plant-based nutrition comes in.
1: Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. Today on the show, we are going to be joined by one of the biggest names in preventative medicine. This is a gentleman who has been featured in virtually every one of the major documentaries that have shined a bright light on the positive effects of a plant-based diet. Dr. Kim Williams will be here today. Amazing cardiologist. But our conversation is going to extend far beyond just heart health today we will be talking about COVID-19 and cardiovascular risk factors and the racial disparities in death rates and infections here in America. So what role could prevention play in these disparities and how could plant-based nutrition help? That's what we're talking about as he and I explore race and lowering the risk of death with nutrition. Now, a caveat here. We are not saying and we are not arguing that if everybody were to adopt a vegan diet, that the world's problems would be solved. Simply not the case. But we will focus on nutrition and systemic racism and how... That can help bridge this racial divide. So, when you want to talk about a racial divide, listen to one of the first things that Dr. Williams says in this interview. He says, It's not so much about race as it is with risk. It's not race, it's risk. And that goes directly to the idea that this pandemic is indeed helping to expose the ugly underbelly of systemic racism here in America. Since early on, it became clear that COVID-19 was striking minority and underprivileged communities at far higher rates. And it's not just an increased likelihood of becoming infected. It's also a much higher risk of dying. Many estimates show that African Americans are two and a half times as likely to succumb to COVID-19. But if there is a glimmer of good news in any of this, it could be that this pandemic is bringing issues to the forefront that have been largely swept under the rug and gone unaddressed for far too long. So we will be continuing that discussion with Dr. Williams here on the show today and learning how plant-based nutrition can help play a role in bridging that racial divide and ending a vicious and perpetual cycle. And then we are going to change gears and we are going to hear from a woman who had Crohn's disease fibromyalgia, arthritis, and a whole host of other conditions, all before the age of 25. Today, we will be hearing the story of Laura Sines, and for her, it was a journey not just to find health to find herself as well. You see, Laura went from corporate life to a life of helping others with their own journeys. And indeed, it did take some years, but she is in fact living vegan vibrantly. And it all began with an epiphany many years ago as she watched an episode of the simpsons think about that how many people got inspired to go vegan by watching the simpsons laura did and we are going to hear all about her incredible journey to health and now helping others along the way But first today, let's welcome the chief of the Division of Cardiology at Rush University and the former president of the American College of Cardiology. Dr. Kim Williams is here now. This is our conversation from The Exam Room Live. Dr. Williams, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We hear that statistic: African Americans two and a half more times likely to die of COVID nineteen than whites. That's that's pretty staggering, and that is that's an accurate uh, estimate, isn't it?
0: Almost uh, as as you'll I'm undoubtedly going you're going to give me an opportunity to explain. Uh, we actually have um, sort of conflicting data on this. That is. It's absolutely very true that the mortality rate is high. That you know, and if we we can also talk about seriousness of the illness. So the likelihood that you'll actually be hospitalized. Within the hospitalized people, which ones end up in an intensive care unit, and then of the intensive care unit which ones end up on a ventilator. And then the fourth step, of course, is the mortality, uh, which was much higher in, you know, in Italy and er- early on in New York. Uh, we all learned lessons from them, and our mortality rate at Rush University um, is, has actually been relatively low compared to all of those. But still, when we add up all of those features or look at them individually, there's no question that there's a racial disparity. But what if I could just skip to the bottom line, it really is risk, not race. We actually, um, I should give you the explanation that uh, Rush University Hospital, the the new wing, new from 2012, was built in the wake of September 11th. All the plans were made to make sure that Chicago had one place that would be able to serve as a resource for biohazards and uh, catastrophes like uh, the pandemic that we're in. So it was built Uh, with something that you just don't expect in a hospital. That is, you could take a recovery room or an endoscopy suite and within two hours turn it into an intensive care unit. And so at maximum surge, we actually had 175 ICU beds, which was one quarter of all the beds in the state of Illinois, And at maximum surge, we were taking care of about one-fifth of all the COVID patients in uh, the city of Chicago, despite the fact that there are hundreds of hospitals. As it turns out, uh, we've been compiling that data, um, made a database within the cardiology division, and we were looking at all the risk and all the racial features and who got sick, who got sicker, uh, who got sickest, Uh, and and all of the bad outcomes, even though they were relatively few in terms of mortality. Uh, they were still large in terms of people needing uh, intensive care. And when, you know, we've actually submitted this to, you know, uh, so I probably shouldn't go into deep into the details about it, but I can just tell you that the, that race uh, was insignificantly, but slightly actually protective if you're African-American. Once you had adjusted the model for the things that we know uh, that have been published by others, that make uh, the COVID outcomes worse. That is obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and high cholesterol. If you take those four things and you put them in the model, race doesn't actually come out as one of the things that makes people worse. Translate that into lay terminology for the non-statisticians, it means that it really isn't because you're black. It's because our African-American population, for the other reasons that you've mentioned, uh, the systemic racism and the culture issue, cultural issues that have been handed down like diet since really since the slavery days, we end up with more obesity and we have more hypertension. Our cholesterols are not uh, working well, and the obesity certainly is associated with insulin resistance and more diabetes. And so if you take all those factors into account, race is not a big deal it's risk that's a big deal and that's where that's where plant-based nutrition comes in
1: well let's talk about addressing some of those risks the obesity rate among african americans i believe it is uh, correct me if i'm wrong more than half of all african american women are are now uh, clinically obese is that accurate it's about
0: 48% and but and growing Obviously, no pun intended, um, uh, given the circumstances. Um, But if you include a body mass index of greater than 25, which would be the definition of overweight, overweight plus obese, it's 80%. And so it's something that we really have to address. And it is totally lifestyle. There are people who could address this today. We actually were able to do a South Side of Chicago intervention. Um, with Rush University partnering with with one of the Southside churches. And within a matter of just by going plant-based for five weeks, we had a dramatic drop in weight, dramatic drop in blood pressure, trimethylamine N-oxide, which most of the lay population isn't going to know what I'm talking about there, but please, you know, go on your search engine and put in TMAO, the letter, the, the abbreviation for it. And what you'll find is uh, really good ammunition to tell all your friends who are not plant-based that they should be because animal products raise this, ultimately uh, produce this chemical in in the bloodstream, which is associated with heart attack, stroke, death, heart failure. Uh, it wasn't for those four things, it would be fine to eat animals, I guess. But as it turns out, um, th- there, there are real issues. It's not just the saturated fat, not just the cholesterol, uh, elevation in blood pressure and the production of diabetes, uh, which actually happens when you're eating red meat, regardless of whether it increases your weight. It independently causes diabetes uh, type 2. Uh, so we have a, a population uh, with, uh, just to talk about the other two sides of it. We have a population that that has been, uh, as everyone has been talking about ever since George Floyd died, uh, about Black Lives Matter, and everyone's really sort of trying to engage how we ended up in a situation uh, where uh, an entire population has to suffer through a lot of social evils, some of which uh, play out during the COVID uh, because uh, there are poor access to care, the care in the communities is not the same level uh, as, it, as it would be uh, at a university. Uh, I can just say that, you know, interject here that um, my university rush uh, has for a long time been the number one place in Chicago to be transferred to. And it turns out that we played that role for several of the South Side. Uh, once I saw the, the data that, you know, the, the people in the communities with the small community hospitals Uh, things were not going well. The mortality rate was very high. So I called them, we had a discussion, those who would talk to me, and uh, they actually said, yeah, we we can't prone people. Um, We don't know how to do that. We don't have the technology to turn people over on their stomach, uh, uh, which we know is associated with a better outcome when somebody has a COVID pneumonia and respiratory failure. So I said, just, okay, we'll just transfer them. So we took as many transfers as we could um, and once so that really we try to help, but that doesn't solve the entire problem. It doesn't solve it outside of the south side of Chicago or the west side. It doesn't solve it around the nation. And so poor access to poorer care is really uh, an issue that we have to deal with systemically, as you mentioned. The next issue is uh, the idea that, uh, sure, uh, I have a, the kind of job and sure, I may work more hours than than a lot of people who are driving a bus. But I could you know, stop flying to Paris to give a European Society of Cardiology lecture and give it right here in my living room. We were able to, to see patients, do meetings, all sorts of things we were able to, to adjust uh, because of COVID. Uh, we were forced to adjust and we had the capability to do that. But how about the bus driver? How about the person who's doing um, environmental services? They don't have any choice. We all heard the the horrific story about the meatpacking places. I won't name names because probably most people are aware of it, where people were being forced to come to work and then they they got seriously ill with COVID. And then they closed the plant after trying to force people to come to work uh, in a relatively low paying job where there is no option to just move your whole work and your whole life into something that 's online, like uh, some of us were able to do to see see patients and be helpful online, so you have this, and again that is a function as you mentioned of the systemic racism that 's been going on forever. Uh, if I could throw something that 's you know more of uh, probably political than I normally get, I would say, having grown up on this outside of Chicago and you know, trying to make that jump from the Chicago public schools to the University of Chicago, which I did, it's kind of kind of improbable. Uh, what I, if I were going to try to really address this issue of systemic racism, it would be done with education. Invert our tax-based uh, school system so that the the folks who have less get more into the schools to try to get uh, education levels up. And you know, we're still going to need <laughs> environmental services, and but um, and we're still going to need people who are you know, driving buses, but it's not going to be focused on one population as it is now. So you, t- you take that combination of being forced to go to work, um, living in more crowded conditions, which is a lot of what our Hispanic uh, population does, um, and living closely together, which up until now actually has been an advantage. But during COVID, particularly in New York, it's not an advantage. Um, and the fact that we have this culmination of risk factors And this is exactly why we're facing uh, the problems as we are.
1: So, um, wow, Uh, there's obviously a whole heck of a lot to to unpack there. I want to pivot specific to nutrition. Let's talk about those individuals who have been forced to go to work or don't have a choice because of the low wages and don't get paid time off or paid sick leave. When we're, we're talking about ways to improve their diet, if you're working with someone who is, say, a bus driver, makes minimum wage, no time off, when you're working with them to improve their diet so you can address some of those comorbidities, whether it's obesity, hypertension, diabetes, all of those things that we've heard so much about with COVID, what kind of advice can you give them? What kind of a prescription for improving their diet is even possible when they're still being forced out there and their income is limited?
0: So it's interesting that so many people think that somehow doing a plant-based diet is more expensive. It really isn't. That is, you know, you can buy beans, for example, by bulk. You can get, um, you know, hopefully uh, if you're now no longer in the food deserts because that's been addressed for so many uh, of the, our major cities. And you can get, you know, large branded places in our, some of our poorest neighborhoods now because of those changes. Uh, you should be able to get the fresh produce and, and the fruits and vegetables um, we actually have a little handout that, um, we meaning the American College of Cardiology, uh, nutrition, um, uh, work group, uh, uh, someone who's very, very famous in this area, uh, Rob Osfeld, helping Danielle Bellardo, uh, just to name a couple of names of people who have been leaders in this area. They put together a, like a one pager, which I'd be happy to share and I don't think they would mind. We're giving it out to patients all the time, uh, sort of green, uh, yellow and red, like a stoplight. And pretty much all the American food um, are, is really on the, uh, uh, the red light side. Yellow would be things that are healthy, but they might you know add to your weight because they're calorie dense. And then the green is fresh fruits and vegetables. If people were able to focus on that Um, They would lose the weight, the blood pressure. um, You should actually see. I'm sure you have actually uh, just teasing you here, but you should see some of the meta analyses published by Dr. Barnard's group about blood pressure and about cholesterol and what happens when you do a plant based intervention. Uh, Diabetes as well. They have all three publications from um, from uh, Dr. Barnard's group. Where they uh, analyzed loads and loads of data um, that where people have prospectively randomized folks to plant based versus something else, uh, and when you compile that data, there's no question that you can reduce, uh, you know, not just weight but blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol uh, simply by doing a plant based intervention. So I, I think a, a lot of it is getting the education out there, uh, no telling people what they really should be eating and what they should be replacing in terms of animals uh, products the the um, fact that if you're eating a lot of saturated fat, your cholesterol is going up, your weight is going up, your blood pressure is going up, and your risk is going up. And so getting people to understand that is really uh, why we're doing programs like yours. And I appreciate the fact that you're here doing this.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're talking about checking off an uh, awful lot of boxes by changing your diet. Before okay. you and I got to talk this morning, I was looking at some s- statistics from New York and the COVID-related fatalities there. Uh, more than half Uh, of people who died of COVID-19 there had high blood pressure. About one in three had diabetes, one in five had high cholesterol and so on down the line. Uh, A lot of that one could argue does in fact come from a a poor diet. And then we were talking about the misconception that a plant-based diet is expensive. The majority of people don't realize that you can do it very much affordably. A lot of people- however, are turning to fast food because of cost, because of convenience. And I know one of the points that you plan to raise in your presentation at the upcoming International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine is that when it comes to fast food, the quantity of food that is being served has increased dramatically over the past 50 years. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: So yeah, this is actually marketing. Um, you know, very proud of my uh, grandkids. One of them, uh, my oldest granddaughter actually did a um, project where she actually sat and watched a hundred television commercials that had related to food, uh, she, and surprisingly, uh, if you use the um, um, uh, Journal of American College of Cardiology, sort of um, there was a publication on healthy versus unhealthy plant-based diets. Believe it or not, there are people who do a vegan diet that's really not good; uh, can actually be worse for them than the animal products. Um, and that's a separate point. It's just that they happen to publish a uh, sort of a nutrition scale. That is, if you're eating French fries or hamburgers, you know, those would be a minus one point. If you're eating fresh fruits and vegetables, those would be a a plus one point. So you end up with a scale that she could actually use. And the scoring was just amazing. That is, what's being marketed to our people are pretty much uniformly negative. That is, there might be a little lettuce and tomato on that double cheeseburger. But when you added up, you know, the refined grains in the bun uh, to the mayonnaise containing eggs, you're basically um, giving people things that are going to harm their health. Now that's difficult for the population to understand. And, you know, we have to come out, you know, in, in a very large way with a lot of marketing that tries to counterbalance what they're seeing every single day and what they grew up with and what they, what they, their parents uh, taught them to eat. So we've got an uphill battle, but um, all I can say is that the unfortunate, the unfortunate, portion or part of the COVID epidemic is that it's putting a very fine point on the spear, and we have to actually take advantage of uh, the educational opportunities to save a lot of lives.
1: All right. We're going to try to wrap things up here. We don't have a whole heck of a lot of time remaining, but uh, I want to just go back to a point that you raised at the beginning, and that is risk, not race. And so based off of what it was that you were saying, my question to you is this, if there was a level playing field in terms of nutrition, in terms of healthcare, in terms of income, all of those factors, if the playing field was level, would there be these disparities that we're seeing currently?
0: Well, you know, it's o- it's only one institution. And uh, I would love to see our research, once we publish it, reproduced by others, uh, examine their own databases, and find out if an African-American person who is not um uh overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, or high cholesterol, you know, or three of the four because they tend to run in packs, right? Uh I would love to see if they have data that those people are the ones that are dying. You know, I, I would love to challenge uh you as a as a media person, uh Dr. Barnard. Uh I have several friends who are plant based who got COVID. Not one of them has been hospitalized, and certainly none of them have died. And so the question is, um, and I keep asking around for, for my friends, does anybody know a plant-based person who's actually died of COVID? And so far, I've heard of none. Now, that's not a study, but I would love to crowdsource that question and see if, if um, you know, it's, it, it may not be none, but I bet it's dramatically lower than the general population, the general outcome.
1: Yeah we uh we have a gentleman coming on Thursday show who uh is plant-based and and had COVID-19. Um got a, he said uh, basically got a little bit sick but uh is is no worse for wear today. So that will be very interesting and you're right. Anecdotally speaking, I have not heard of anybody either. Um maybe that is a question out there. And we can just throw that to the chat room right now. Are you familiar with anybody who has succumbed to COVID-19, but has eaten a plant-based diet? That is a a phenomenal question. And my final question to you is this, taking race out of the equation. If the world generally was eating more of a plant-based diet, and less of the standard American diet, high fat, lots of animal products, high cholesterol, high sodium, all that comes with it. If the world was eating a healthier plant-based diet, would we still be in this predicament with the levels of COVID-19 being what they are as far as mortality?
0: And We really wouldn't. And I can say that with confidence based on the science that's been published. Uh, just a, a handful of points. Number one, if you're doing the masking, it may not prevent the illness, but prevents the serious illness, believe it or not, because the viral load that gets to a person when they're masked is lower. And if you give someone a high inoculum, as we call it, um, of, of virus versus a low inoculum, the odds that they're going to survive and do well is, is better. Now, once you understand that the, that the dose of the virus is important, then what is it about obesity? What is it about high cholesterol? We don't, you know, have exactly what the data is for diabetes. I would say it may if the immune function of diabetics has always been suspect. So that may be the problem. We don't necessarily have what it is about hypertension, but it could be that the blood vessel damage that happens in hypertensives just isn't going to tolerate an additional insult. But the other two, cholesterol, we actually have data on those. This virus loves to reproduce itself in the bloodstream when the cholesterol is high. It gets all of the nutrients that it wants to to duplicate and, tr- and quadruplicate and and to increase uh, the viral numbers. Then the obesity is an issue of adipose cells, which people may not have heard that uh, those that word before adipocytes. The uh, that's a nice scientific way of saying fat cells. The fat cells are overgrown, uh, if not. Higher in number, and this virus loves to invade fat cells, and it can reproduce itself so quickly inside fat cells. So what you have in the obese person is this incredibly high viral load, and they're shedding it. Um, you know, so if a person is overweight, singing in a choir in an enclosed space, uh, which was happening a couple times in Chicago uh, and funerals, this was this was a setup because the person hasn't gotten sick yet but they actually are shedding virus in very large quantities. And so the, the bigger your weight, the, the more your viral load is going to be. So you're likely to get sicker, but you're also going to spread it to more people uh, because you're shedding much more higher, much higher levels of virus. So lowering the cholesterol, which you can do, um, I would weigh in on the the uh, mailbag question. Uh, yes. If you look at um, the portfolio diet, which was published uh uh, years ago from uh, David Jenkins, University of Toronto, it showed that the cholesterol went down in two weeks, uh, a good 30 uh, percent when someone did a plant based diet that included plant sterols and, and uh, psyllium and, and the like. And it turns out that um, that's the kind of rapid response. If we, if we could take the, our entire population and two weeks from now have a lower cholesterol level uh, and then gradually decrease the weight as well we would have much less problem with people um, spreading the virus because their viral loads would be lower when they got it. And we would have uh, less overwhelming uh, numbers and illness for our medical system. Uh, so the cost financially uh, in human lives uh, and the effect on our healthcare system would be unbelievably better if we could make, make that change and make it today.
1: Dr. Kim Williams, uh, you will be speaking at the upcoming International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, going much deeper in depth than we possibly could get to today. Uh, That is coming up August 6th through 8th. I believe you will actually be presenting. You are the very first presenter at the conference this year on August 6th. So very much looking forward to, uh, to seeing you there as well. Dr. Kim Williams, thank you so very much for your time today, my friend. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And again, you can find that link to register for the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine in the episode notes. Be sure to use the promo code EXAM20 to save 20%. That's EXAM, all lowercase, EXAM, and then the number 20 to save 20% off the cost of registration. That's coming up August 6th through 8th over at pcrm.org slash ICNM, entirely online for the very first time this year, And really, the lineup of presenters there is just second to none. We've got Dr. Williams. We've got Dr. Neil Barnard. He will be there. Dr. Michael Greger will be there. So many people, so many extraordinary names, three days, chock full of information, the likes of which you have never experienced before over there. And if you would like to save 20%, you can do so right now. Using the promo code exam20 over at PCRM.org/slash ICNM. Going back to that conversation with Dr. Williams, when it comes to health, it is risk, not race. He even went so far at one point as to say that being African American can actually be slightly protective if not for these underlying conditions, if not for this systemic racism. So think about this. Think about these numbers from the APM Research Lab. If the death rate among blacks was the same as it is for whites for COVID-19, in the U.S., there would be 17,000 fewer people who would have died. 17,000. And to a broader point, and one that is affecting millions of us, regardless of race, the fast food situation that he and I were talking about, those combo meals at the drive through are now four times larger than they were in the 1950s four times, theoretically, then quadrupling the amount of fat and calories with each meal. Is there a connection then between the skyrocketing rates of obesity and the portion sizes of these high-fat, high-calorie meals? Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. The bottom line is, We can do better. We can absolutely do better. And someone who has done better is Laura Sines. For years, Laura struggled with chronic conditions, too many of them to even count. She was unhappy in her corporate job, but she knew. She knew, feeling sick, she knew that she wanted to do something better. She knew that she wanted to be healthier. And so she begins to embark on this journey. From vegetarianism to veganism, throw in a little bit of yoga, and a lot of help from others, and eventually helping others, and helping herself. And all of this began many moons ago while she was watching an episode of The Simpsons. This is a story about finding yourself, and it's one about finding your health. And for Laura in particular, this is a story about how to live vegan vibrantly. As we continue here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Time now to bring a little inspiration to your life. And for that, I'm going to bring in a woman whose goal in life is to teach to train, to educate, and to empower people to successfully thrive on a healthy, whole food, plant-based lifestyle while also living meaningful and passionate lives. Man, you want to talk about a life with purpose. This is it right there. With that, we welcome Laura Signs to the show. She is the CEO and founder of Live Vegan Vibrantly. Welcome to the show, Laura.
2: Wow. Thank you so much, Chuck. I am so honored and grateful to be here, and especially with you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It is absolutely my pleasure, and your story is quite remarkable. Uh, I met you, gosh, a year and a half, maybe two years ago, and we just started talking. And and you know, you told me a little bit about yourself. I told you a little bit about myself, and we were like, man, that's that's a really we got ourselves a couple of stories that need to be told. And so here we are finally getting you on the show. And, and, you know, I think that, um, what you have been through is really going to resonate with a lot of people and, uh, pick them up and make them feel good. So you today are leading a very, I would consider it to be an extremely healthy lifestyle, but that wasn't always the case for you. Was it?
2: No, it was not
1: (laughs) (laughs) to put it mildly.
2: Yeah. No, it was really um, a journey for me to get here. And I had started out, I guess, like long story short, just really um, in my childhood, we always had our fruits and vegetables, so to speak. And then I saw the episode with Lisa Simpson, when she goes vegetarian. Okay. And I was like, during that time, I was 14 years old, and I wasn't really digging the meat. Like, I wasn't really a fan of eating a lot of meat. And I was always asking my mom, like, hey, can I, like, you know, put this to the side? Like, I'm good. So when she had the realization of the little lamb, baby lamb, right, and her thoughts Mm -hmm. and lamb chop on her plates, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, no wonder why I don't like meat. So, with that being said, I made the connection of oh, I'm eating an animal's muscle. I didn't really have the connection of this is an animal on my plate. It was just like I don't know. The disconnect is real, right? We talk about that a lot. And um, I had decided, all right, I'm going to go vegetarian because back then I didn't even know what veganism was. I didn't even know that veganism existed. So I said, okay, but I was so unhealthy. I mean, talk about eggs and cheese and ice cream and yeah. all, like you know. And I was a junk food. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyways, I fast forward all the way to my professional career that I used to have in corporate America, which I like to call luxury prison. But
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say luxury prison?
2: Yeah, <laughs> for me, now, no bashing on anybody who has a corporate job. But for me, it was like luxury prison because it was like, you know, I was working for someone else and I, I was building their company and had to do it on their time, their schedule. Every day when I had my commute, this dark cloud across the horizon and I had an hour commute. So I was like, you know what? I'm contributing to this. I don't like it. So there was a lot of things in corporate that I didn't like. And all of my, um, my uh, co-workers used to say, Laura, you just care too much. You care too much about people. You care too much about the project. And you want to just do such a good job. Like, who cares? Like, let it go.
1: Mm.
2: And I was like, man, I'm in the wrong profession. <laughs>
1: yeah, so you never bought into that message.
2: I didn't. And um, I got really, really sick because – it was like I was going against my soul. I was going against my purpose, but I didn't know that I had a purpose. I didn't know that my soul was calling me to do something else. So, I ended up getting Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia, major depression, anxiety, and I was clinically diagnosed with all these, anemia, systemic candida, and arthritis, like by the time I was 25.
1: Holy cow.
2: I was really, really sick, really miserable, and just getting test after test after test. And the doctors never would tell me what the source of the problem was. So I said, okay. But they gave me pill after pill after pill. And I think it was uh, Dr. Neil Bernard. I was doing a, a recent um, interview with him on his new book, Your Body Imbalance. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking about, you know, these doctors that – you know, diagnose us, and they want to give us a pill. And I remember my my dad was coming with me to try and help me figure this out. And the guy who was my gastroenterologist was probably, and I know you've had an incredible weight loss journey, so he would, but he was like 400 and he's like 400 pounds. He was wearing like a, a pocket protector with a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> and he was sweating. And he had like a candy bar in the other pocket.
1: This was this was your doctor. This was your gastroenterologist.
2: <laughs> I know, right? And my dad's like, I don't know if I trust that guy. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Dad, I don't. I'm like, I don't know. So I tried the Western medicine way, and they just gave me pill after pill after pill, which did nothing if not made me have more symptoms. And what really stopped me on going on the homeopathic route was they said, here, take this pill, and if you don't like the sunlight anymore, then let us know. And I'm like, sunlight? You mean like, sun, (laughs) during the day? They're like, yeah, if you like sunlight, if it bothers you, like, let us know. I'm like, wow, okay, not the right path. So I kind of got, I just started going along my journey, and um, I have had several angels, I think, in my life that have helped me in this journey. And one of them said to me, and this was my friend, right? I'm calling him, like, my friend, Angel, whatever. And he said, you know what? You really wanted to go to yoga teacher training, so why don't you go? Like, I'll take over your lease. Like, you know, I'll take care of things. Just go. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I went to yoga teacher training, and through my, my mastery uh, studies, because I just did, like, eat, breathe, sleep, yoga for like three years straight, studied with masters. And they said, all right, you've tried healing, you know, through Western medicine, homeopathic medicine. Why don't you try like different like cleansings and diets and, you know, supplements still wasn't there, like kept trying and trying and trying. So then I go, I I moved back. I was studying in San Francisco. I moved back to San Diego and, um, this girlfriend of mine invited me to her birthday party where she had, uh, like the whole staff of the center of integrative medicine from university of California, San Diego there. And she's like, you're going to love these people. They are health practitioners and they're totally in your field. Cause I had been trying to go vegan for a while, but I wasn't sure how to do it. So. I met with them, I brought vegan cookies, they had a whole vegan spread, we had a blast, like singing, dancing, playing acro yoga, like having such a great time with the food, and the directors, we just got to talking, you know, after everybody left, and they were telling me about this anti-cancer and preventative disease cooking program. And it was a macrobiotic, whole food plant-based nutrition program and they said why don't you come teach it for us oh wow Wow. now I had no previous teaching cooking class experience I didn't know what macrobiotics was and I didn't know how to go vegan (laughs) but I really really was passionate about it and so I said yes I will go I will do it so um during my training I said okay I have a lot of sick people coming in my class, like cancer patients with radiation and people who have cholesterol, high blood pressure, like all these patients that are coming. So I better know what I'm teaching. So it was that moment where I said, I'm only going to eat what I'm going to be teaching. Mm. And within six weeks, all of my symptoms were gone. Wow. I was in shock. And I'm like... Loray she was the director I said why doesn't anybody know about this (laughs) like it's not hard it's not rocket science it's so easy it's amazing and literally my body continued to heal I've never felt better I get older and I feel better my body gets better and I just I keep meeting amazing people like you
1: yeah yeah you're you're on a journey that's for daggone sure (laughs)
2: I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got to sort of, and we can talk about LBB later, but yeah, that's how I got to the healthy point.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's do a little bit uh, of a deeper dive into this if, if you don't mind, because I think that there are a lot of people who may be stuck in those corporate luxury job uh, jobs Mm -hmm. as you, you referred to it. And I think that they're to be real with you is that sense of security that comes with that from the financial aspect. I mean, so talk to me about how difficult of a decision it was for you to walk away and kind of cutting that cord and just taking that plunge. Walk us through that process.
2: To be honest, um, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Like I, I almost couldn't wait to put in my two weeks because I was over it. Like once I made the decision to go to yoga teacher training, uh, because it was a nine week training program, there was no way like I was going to be in a bubble. There was no way that I was going to be doing anything else. And they weren't going to let me take nine weeks off. For sure. So um, I just I literally couldn't wait to get out of there. And i but it did take me five years to get to that point of like I've had enough.
1: Gotcha. OK, I gotcha. Yeah. Now, um, just to, you know, kind of revisit this. So you were still sick with a lot of those conditions, those symptoms that you were talking about at this point when you decided to leave. You still had the um, the arthritis, the depression, the anxiety, the Crohn's, the fibromyalgia, et cetera, et cetera, at all. And this was still going on. Did you feel even just l- leaving that corporate job, did you start to feel better physically after that? Did that alleviate some of the stress and anxiety?
2: Um. Yes and no, but not not really I actually felt like the yoga teacher training itself. I was like, man, people should just go to yoga teacher training <laughs> instead of like years of, of therapy or trying to do medication, because literally it was like an entire cleansing of everything from inside out head to toe. I mean, I did the Bikram yoga where it's super hot, you're sweating, you're twisting and and you're contracting and expanding every single organ. So it's like you're taking a towel and you're just wringing out all of those toxins. Mm-hmm. So it it definitely helped, but it was like a stepping stone into the next level. So it's kind of like I went through like I think a soul journey and a cleansing and a detox of my body, but I still wasn't eating properly because I went through a lot of um, infections like during teacher training and a lot of people, that's actually really common. You get really sick because you're, you're practicing yoga like so much in a short period of time that your body is trying to keep up to cleanse out your system. I mean, think about it if you're in your late 20s that's like a you know, two decades worth of toxicity
0: mm-hmm.
2: that you have in your system and your and the body's trying to keep up when you're practicing yoga for like 3 hours a day and then you have all these other classes that you're going to, you're being kept up late and you're doing that for 9 weeks straight.
1: And then just to put the timeline on this, how long was it between uh, the time that you wrapped up the yoga teacher training versus when you went to, what was you said San Francisco, and you met that incredible group of people who were vegan and kind of introduced you to that type of lifestyle? How many years are we talking about there?
2: Um, at least like 15 years.
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. And so
2: yeah.
1: after the yoga teacher training you, you stayed vegetarian. Did you, I mean, did you stay sick? You know, I mean, were the symptoms any better, you know, with the Crohn's and the fibromyalgia, any of that?
2: No, because the reason why I want to really point this out, just like all of the physicians that you've had on the podcast, if you keep hitting the wound with a hammer, it's going to stay a wound. Cause, right. So it's like I was still putting diesel in my Porsche.
1: That absolutely makes sense. It's just, I I think that a lot of people would think automatically, wow, a yoga teacher, they have to be so healthy. You know, it's, you know, they're a a yoga teacher, for goodness sakes. You know, how can they possibly not be healthy? But the fact of the matter is, like you just said, if you're putting diesel in the Porsche, well, guess what? It doesn't matter how many horses are under that hood you're not going to get out of park like the car's just not going to go so that's that's a really good point to make so just as you were ready to cut the string 15 years earlier with that corporate job and you were just like ready to go when you heard about the benefits of a completely plant-based lifestyle were you like ready to cut that cord and say goodbye to cheese say goodbye to dairy and all those things that you had been eating and just go all in on this
2: well, what really prompted me was that I didn't want to contribute to the animal cruelty. Like that's why I was trying to get into vegan and I hadn't I really didn't know the real benefits of whole food plant-based nutrition. I had come in the door to veganism from animal rights. Mm. That was my that was my door. I mean, I made the connection at a young age, but then I didn't realize that continuing to eat their secretions was still one of the worst ways that you could contribute to animal cruelty and suffering.
1: Let's talk then about the day that you decide to go vegan. A lot of people, it's it's a process, like they kind of dip their toe in it a little bit. Was that you or did you just like go all in, you just dove right into the deep end?
2: Yeah, because when I was in the in the class and I was you know, watching the other teacher and I was getting trained and I remember sitting down at that first meal and I was tasting everything and I was like, oh my gosh, my body needs this nourishment and I would just like go back for like seconds and thirds and like, and my friend, she used to call me like a piggy in class, but I didn't care. I was like, I haven't had this nutrition for like over 20 years. Yeah. Like I, I, and I, so I recognized Right away, And I think that's what the yoga teacher training really helped me do, was really create such a deep connection with my body that as soon as I had that premium fuel in my body, it was like, here it is. Why are you going to have anything else? Like, I literally couldn't get enough. I would take home leftovers. I would study it. I'd be like, okay, this is how we cook this. I would take notes. And I would recreate it at home for the rest of the week. And I was like, this is it. There is no other reason for me to put anything else in my body because it was making me sick. And
1: So how quickly did you start to feel that physical improvement? I mean, it sounds like you knew right away that you needed these, these nutrients and, and that. But, you know, how long until these, these symptoms from all of these conditions that you had started to fade away?
2: All of a sudden, it was about a six-week mark. And we were putting on a huge global conference at the university. All these doctors, we were flying in. Deepak Chopra was coming in. And I remember driving to the conference with Lorraine. And all of a sudden, it was just like the clouds parted. And I was so beamingly happy. Like, wow. blit out. I'm like, why am I so happy? Yeah. Like, this is coming from within. It was like my microbiome just, like, had that switch it was like they had been fed enough like the good bacteria finally was able to create that natural reoccurring serotonin and dopamine just for being alive and I was like whoa like why doesn't everybody know about this so yeah it it was about the six week mark
1: what about the physical symptoms how much pain were you in um, before this with the arthritis like was there uh, like was it hard for you to be mobile? Were you taking a lot of ibuprofen and things like that?
2: Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a really big pill taker, but I probably was taking, you know, whatever at the time, like if I was not feeling well, but I definitely was like swollen, like my fingers were swollen a lot or my ankles or my feet, um, I had a lot of inflammation. Yeah. Like, a lot. Like, I was just puffy. And I didn't know I was puffy. Like, I look at pictures of me back then, like, when I was, like, 21 and I got my passport. And I look at myself now and I was like, wow, like, I was puffy. <laughs> and, I thought, <laughs> and I thought that I was healthy. <laughs> So I had a lot of inflammation. So that was like the most prominent thing. And my it was just, it was a constant like annoyance. So
1: how did yeah. that hamper you when you were teaching yoga? Because I would imagine that there are some days when you might have been puffier than others.
2: <laughs> well, um, I think um, I was in a really rigorous um, master training like program. So it was like. Get up there. It's not about you. You're here to serve. You're here to teach. Do it.
1: Was it difficult afterward? Like when you were starting to cool down and come home, would you stiffen
2: up? I was always stiff. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I mean, I could do the poses, but I was always stiff or puppy or trying to like recover or you know, whatever. I just, I didn't have that incredible recovery. Like a lot of the plant-based athletes talk about Until I made the switch. right? And I did, uh, you asked about, um, I think you were um, asking about, like, the detox. Uh, (laughs) Detox, like, totally sucked. Yep. (laughs) I mean, it was so, it was bad. I mean, it was just, I mean, I experienced everything from, like, head to toe to skin discoloration to, you know, bowel movement issues. I mean, it was... It was tough. Yeah. It was tough. But my, you know, your body has to has to release the, the toxins. And and it's now it's normal. It's normal and it's natural. And that period, okay? I was sick for I don't know how many years. Like probably a good decade without being diagnosed like you know before because it's leading up to it and I always had problems with like anemia and arthritis and inflammation yeah. so um, you're thinking okay I've got and I hadn't I wasn't eating plant-based my whole life. So I had 20 something years right of detox because I didn't start teaching for UCSD until I was in my early 30s. So I had over 20 years to detox, but I did it in six weeks. That's pretty impressive, and it's literally a blink of an eye in your life. Definitely. So lifetime of suffering, six weeks. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, all told, that's that's a pretty quick repair. And I, I remember going through detox. I, whenever I give a lecture, I talk a lot about detoxing off of Taco Bell and, you know, just night two without it and how absolutely crummy uh, I would feel because your body's so used to having it and your brain at that point is so used to having it because it triggers the dopamine release just as as a drug would. You know, and but but, you know, here it is. It's just Taco Bell. But it wasn't just Taco Bell. Like that was my drug, you know. And then so when you take that drug out of out of your body, out of your system, man, I became sick physically. I became sick mentally. I just became cranky pants. You know, just I mean, there's no other way to describe it other than just the most cranky individual in the history of individuals, somebody that you don't want to be around, like a person that you don't even recognize yourself. That's that's all of the stuff that you you had put in there coming out.
2: Well, in the systemic candida, like how you're describing your detox from Taco Bell, that was my uh, detox or the killing off of the bacteria when I finally figured out. How to rid myself of systemic candida. Mm. I did so much research. I tried so many different, even like plant foods and combinations, and I finally nailed it and also figured out how to break the membrane of the fungi so I could, or whatever it is, the candida strand. And it was, I had a very intense, like five days worth of detox. And it was literally, and I, I had to be like alone. And mm-hmm. I had to do like a clearing and clearing afterwards of like the whole house. I mean, but yeah, it does feel like some entity is coming out of you because in a way it is. All
1: right. So let's, let's get the, uh, the pleasant train back on the track. So now we've gone through detox and the clouds have lifted and you're feeling good. And like, so you get to this point then where you you just embrace this wholeheartedly you're teaching people and, and you want to pay it forward, right?
2: Yeah. So, um, while I was at UCSD, my friends were like, what are you doing? Like, can I learn? Like what's up? So, um, and the doctors were prescribing me out to their patients. And I remember one time, um, this happened, uh, Dr. Sachs, he called me eight o'clock at night. He's like, I need to. I need to give you a call. And He's like, you know, when you're teaching up there, you either got it or you don't, and you've got it. You embody it. You get it. It's in your food. He's like, I really want you to start a private chef program because I want to start prescribing you out to my cancer patients. Whoa. And I was, I was just, I started crying out of like tears of of bliss and joy and just complete humbleness and knowing like, whoa, I have like a big responsibility, like, but this is my calling. Like, are you, and in my mind this is going on, like, are you going to accept this? Like, are you gonna step into this gift that's being handed to you? You have an angel right here on the phone telling you, hey, this is your gift. And I humbly accepted. So I started this little um, company called The Healing Chef. And so I started work, you know, I was doing what the doctors, they had me prescribe out to their patients. And then um, I had friends who were like, well, can you come teach me in my house, like what you're doing? So I started having these private little like classes where I would teach and I would train people how to use food as medicine like the macrobiotics, the whole food plant-based nutrition, and how to heal whatever ailment they were going through. And we were having classes. But then I was, and I was still working for UCSD, obviously, right for there. And, and after a while, like, Lorraine and I went out for a night with, with Mary, who was, like, a gal who introduced me to, to her. We were just having fun, and I had this idea. We were, like, sitting under a tree, like the three of us, just, like, looking at the stars, And uh, I was like, hey, Lorraine, like, I've got to get this message out to the world. Like, do I have your permission to, like, teach this stuff? Like, I got to tell everybody that I know. She's like, yeah, go. Like, you're blessed. Just go do it. Go do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, cool, like, awesome, because, you know, UCSD really gave me that training and they really gave me that opportunity to like learn and embody this and they completely changed my life. So um, then I had a friend who took me to a conference and it was a business conference and they were like, do you have a gift that you want to share with the world? And um, she taught me like how to do a summit. So that's when I started doing summits and I think I was actually one of the first people at least in the vegan community to do an online event. So I started reaching out to like just, you know, regular like vegans who had like small businesses, right? Right. And all of them said no. <laughs> <laughs> or or they didn't meet the requirements that I needed. And so I was like, you know what? I got really frustrated because I'm like, oh I'm like I can't get like enough people or who I really need. And I had this like voice that came in and said, you were really successful in corporate, which I was just able to climb the ladder very quickly in corporate. Uh, And I had my own business in there too, but they said to me, why don't you just approach this the same way? Just go straight to the top. Who is leading this movement? So I was like, oh, I know, Dr. Bernard, (laughs) (laughs) Dr. T. Kelly Campbell. Dr. Codwell Esselstyn Jr., Dr. Greger, like all of the who's who, right? So I was like, oh, like how am I, I don't know, are they going to say yes? They all said yes. Everybody said yes. And I also had a woman who introduced me to some of the other like macrobiotic teachers she reached out to me on LinkedIn because I had put a post out hey I'm looking for a whole food plant-based macrobiotic experts to do this and um I was and I remember <laughs> and so like my first interview with Dr. Neil Bernard <laughs> I had like my face like in the camera <laughs> <laughs> I was like Oh my God, I'm talking to Dr. Neil Bernard and like one of the macrobiotic teachers sent me an email and he was like, can you like not put your face so close like in the camera next time? Like, you know, people criticize and they like say stuff. But I was like, you know, I put it out there. Like I was just like, I have to tell everybody. And this world is so science, science based that you have to have it backed by science. So that's like how my journey began, and well, at least with Live Vegan Vibrantly. And I came up with that name literally just by brainstorming, like on a piece of paper. And I said, Okay, what is the biz- biggest stigma about veganism? And I want to squash it with this name. So I was, and I just kept like writing adjectives and adjectives. And then I was like, Okay, live vegan vibrantly. There you go. Sounds good to me. (laughs) So yeah, I just it was a it was a big success and I've been really lucky to work in even with people like you and continue to meet people like you. I mean, I remember when I heard your story and I you you had me like in tears, like when you were talking up on the stage at the PCRM conference at the medical place, and I was just like, Oh my gosh. And then I got, you know, I was like, I'm gonna take a picture. And we held up your pants and like both of us kept in them and it was just so cool. And I was like, wow. I'm like, look at all these amazing people like Chuck and everybody who's shifted and made this huge transformation. They're on this vibrant lifestyle and have these incredible purposes in the world where we're here to make the world a better place, help people with their health and heal the planet. That's how it's just been a really incredible journey.
1: And so talk to, talk to me a little bit about what it is that you're doing with uh, Live Vegan Vibrantly now. What is this program that you put together?
2: Ah, oh, thank you. Yes, the program that you are also on, the panel of experts. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did a, a summit again this year. It's called The Power Plants, How Eating the Rainbow is Trailblazing Modern Day Medicine to uh, Glow from the Inside Out and Light Up the World and um, everybody brings their story, their science, their research, their expertise to the table on basically not only how this lifestyle is changing the entire world, it's healing people, it's helping um, species thrive, and what we can do to create a brighter future for our children's children. So actually... as we do this this podcast right now, I think by the time it airs, it'll be over. But um, we're in the middle of it right now, and it's going really strong. Everybody's loving the interviews, and plus we have some bonus expert live classes, and those have been going really well. Um, and so, yeah, we're we doing we're in the middle of the summit, and then um, I'm usually do like a training afterwards. So there's a lot of good stuff coming up in the near future, and. Uh, You'll just have to watch to find out.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. Um, And and what is the website for people who are listening? They want to go check this out.
2: Yeah. So you can check out the summit at liveveganvibrantlysummit.com. Or you can go to livveganvibrantly.com and you can also get like a free recipe and you get a video tutorial.
1: We'll put up links to that uh, in the episode notes below. You can just go ahead and click there um, and, and we'll make it real, real super easy on you. Um, but before I let you go, I just want to commend you for, um, you know, taking the leap and, and just kind of following your heart and now paying it forward. Um, you, you are an exception to the rule and... It is it is really remarkable to, to have you on the show with us this week. This has just been fantastic, and I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your story with us. And I, I truly hope and I do believe that your story will inspire some other people, open their eyes to make changes if they feel like they're trapped in that corporate luxury box or uh, luxury prison, as, as you called it, uh, or, or have you know any, any number of those conditions. You were so sick for so long and look at you now you know look at you now
2: thank you so much chuck it's been literally a dream an honor and a privilege to not only be on this podcast but then meet you too i've made an amazing new friend in the world and i'm just so incredibly grateful thank you so much for inviting me and um i just i couldn't say thank you enough too to all of the listeners and yes like i hope that you learn something and that it helps you in someone one way or another
1: You can find a link to Live Vegan Vibrantly in the show notes, Laura's website. And she also asked me to mention that she will be participating in the Food as Medicine Summit that is coming up August 22nd through 29th. Put a link there as well. What a story. What a story. So often, as was the case with Laura, the journey to health is so much more than that. It's a journey to find yourself. Heck, that's what life is all about, isn't it? If you ever think that there's somebody that would make a great guest on this show, someone with an incredible story who we should spotlight, we would love to know. We would love to inspire so, please let me know. Find me on Facebook or tweet me at Chuck Carroll, WLC, or find me on Instagram, same name. Suggest that name. Put us in contact. We would love to help inspire so many people. Get those stories out there. Now, coming up Thursday on the exam room live is someone who has their own amazing story. And after undergoing this incredible transformation, he recently has written another chapter in his life, one about having COVID-19. We're going to be talking to Eric O'Gray Thursday on The Exam Room Live. That's coming up at noon Eastern, both on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channels. Eric has been a committed vegan for years after losing so much weight, reversing his diabetes, getting off all of this medication, and still, still, he came down with COVID-19. So what was that experience like for Eric? We will be finding out coming up on Thursday's show. And by the way, you can watch replays of The Exam Room Live over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channels. Links to both are in the show notes. And if you haven't already done so or you're listening right now on your web browser, please also subscribe to The Exam Room Podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your shows. And please leave a five-star rating and then share the show with your friends and your family. Get them to subscribe. Because the more subscriptions we get, the more five-star ratings we receive, the higher then we climb in the rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it becomes for people to find this information and hopefully begin to take charge of their health. And if you're ready to make a change, take control of your health, it would help to have a doctor or dietitian who understands. And you can make an appointment to visit with our plant-based doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center, the group who puts nutrition into laser focus as they zero in to treat the root cause of the problem and not just put a Band-Aid on the symptom. We're talking about preventative medicine. And then they can work with you on getting on a healthier track into the future. So to schedule that appointment, visit barnardmedical.org or pick up the phone and call 202-527-7500. And some big news recently, as of last week, patients are also now being accepted in Georgia and in Florida. Also in California and New York, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Missouri, Arizona, Colorado, Massachusetts, and Kentucky all of those locations, you can make an appointment today via telemedicine. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. So visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. Yes, there is a link to Barnard Medical in the episode notes as well. And that's going to do it for us today. My thanks again to Dr. Kim Williams and Laura Sines for joining us. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant based.